Okay, New Life Friday night. How you doing tonight? Pretty good? If you're new here, like Brett Davis said, my name is Andrew. I'm the lead pastor of New Life East. It's good to be with you tonight. I was on staff here with Friday night for a number of years, so uh, coming back here on a Friday night always feels like a homecoming to me. I do not know how to follow up that worship set. Good Lord, literally. Unbelievable. So I'm going to read the Bible and try to say a couple things about it and not mess up the flow here tonight. It is good to see you. Uh, Pastor Daniel Grothy uh, is in Scottsdale, Arizona this weekend. He's ministering at Preston Morrison's church. Preston is a good friend of New Life Church, so uh, Daniel sends you his love. And um, I'm doing my best Daniel Grothy impersonation tonight. You like that? I got more hair, though. So... I got, the edge, I got the edge on my bro. <laughs> Daniel, if you're out there listening, I do love you so much. Good to be with you tonight. I'm going to start in the book of Exodus chapter 19 tonight. We're continuing our series uh, called Who is God? It's a look at uh, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And we've been in a stretch here exploring how God reveals himself in Scripture as the Father. And uh, as we've seen, uh, God reveals himself as the Father first in creation, Created order speaks of his identity and his nature. He, uh, Augustine has this beautiful thing that he says in one of uh, his theological works where he says that God has left vestiges of himself in the created order. And everything bears the signature of the divine. It bears a trace of the divine. And so God reveals himself in the created order. And he also reveals himself as father to us as we saw when we fail. Genesis chapter 3, when we run away from God, God does not stop being our good father, but instead he begins asking us questions that help us locate ourselves in the story. Where are you? He says, where are you? And we've also seen uh, how the father reveals himself in scripture as the covenant maker, the promise maker, and the promise keeper in scripture. And so what I want to do tonight is I want to explore one further dimension of what it means for God to be the, the father who exists in a covenant relationship with us. What does it mean for God to draw us near to himself, and how does he form us as his people? So I'm gonna start in the book of Exodus chapter 19. I'm gonna jump around just a little bit tonight so you have to track with me. Scriptures will be up on the screen over here. I've got some slides. I'm gonna tell some stories. It's gonna be a great night. Can we just uh, pause here before we open the scriptures together and pray? For some of you, this is like the first moment of holy stillness you've had all week. So I just wanna like give this to you. Would you just drink this in now? We do thank you, God. We thank you that if we never did another good thing for us, for you, you would love us. If all we ever do for the rest of our lives is fail you, you will love us. You can't stop loving us. It's who you are. And we thank you that you have visited us tonight and are visiting with us, not because we're so worthy of it. It's not because we've managed our week well. It's not because we're doing marriage well or family well or singleness well. Or it's not because of any of that. But you can't help yourself. That's you. It's you are the God who gives and you give and you give and you give and grace is shown to the wicked, and somehow as the grace falls upon the wicked, they discover that they become righteous in that process. Your grace changes us, it saves us. And so we just pray that tonight would be a celebration of the grace of God. 
and a feast upon the grace of God, that you'd come and help us lean into the mercy that has been carrying us every moment of our lives, even when we weren't aware of it. And we thank you that tonight you're gonna help us lean more into that mercy that carries us. It's gonna carry us right into the very end of time. So help us tonight trust it. Help us see your face. Help us know tonight what it means to be your people, your kids, and help us grow up into our salvation just a little bit more tonight. We're asking that. We say, may the words of the preacher's mouth and the meditation of the hearer's hearts be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, our strength and our redeemer in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and all God's people said, Amen. Exodus chapter 19, the Israelites have left Egypt. Uh, the Lord broke the arm of Pharaoh, shattered the power of Egypt. And here they are now at the foot of Mount Sinai where the long journey with God to becoming his people is about to begin. And the scripture says that on the first day of the third month after the Israelites left Egypt, on that very day they came to the desert of Sinai. And after they set out from Rephidim, they entered the desert of Sinai. And Israel camped there in the desert at the front of the mountain. Of course, we know that Mount Sinai is the place where the Israelites are given what? They're given the law. They're given the Decalogue. So this is an important moment is about to transpire here. And Moses went up to God and the Lord called to him from the mountaintop and he said, this is what you are to say to the descendants of Jacob and what you are to tell the people of Israel. You yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt, how I carried you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all the nations, you will be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words you are to speak to the Israelites. Brothers and sisters, this is the word of the Lord and all God's people said. When God delivers his people from Egypt, he's not done with them, okay? He got more work to do with them. And so he draws them here to Mount Sinai to begin to form them as his people, a people that take on his character and his nature and his likeness. They he says they're gonna be a kingdom of priests. They're gonna be a holy nation so that when the nations of the earth look at Israel, they get some kind of a glimpse of what God is like. But all of this is dependent upon them obeying the Lord fully. Everybody say, obey the Lord fully. Obey me fully, the Lord says, and keep my covenant. And then out of the, all the nations, you're gonna be this, my people. And of course, what we see then, as the book of Exodus unfolds, Exodus chapter 20, we get the Decalogue, the 10 commandments, the 10 words. And those commandments really are the backbone of Israel's understanding, not only of who God is and what God requires, but also what it means to be human. And then out of that, you get the rest of the book of Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, which is basically, in so many ways, a long elaboration on those 10 words, those 10 commandments. What does it mean to be God's people? God lays out in front of his people his requirements for them. How do I want you to live? These are the stipulations and the laws and the decrees. Now, many of us, I think, when we think about God being a God who gives stipulations and laws, decrees, commands, and all that, what we think is that God is kind of this uh, uh, ornery, irascible deity who uh, he's just a little bit particular about how we behave, you know? And so he's got these moments where he just kind of gets a little agitated about it. And, and I think about um, like being a little kid. Uh, I grew up in a great family. I'm an unapologetic aunt. I love being an aunt. Come from a long line of like really exceptional people. The Arndt family is full of these amazing people who are very accomplished and hard workers and they manage their life right and they're good people and they're funny and they're fun to be around. I love being an Arndt. But part of, and this is where I'm just gonna expose my 
family gently just for a second here. Part of that excellence that my family carries, yeah, it, like part of what goes with the territory of that is that there's just like a touch, just a touch, a tiny touch of OCD, you know? <laughs> you have not, now I think it might be degenerating kind of as the generations go on, but in my dad's generation of aunts and prior to him, You'd like not met, you've never met an aunt that ever had anything in their life that was ever out of place. Like everything with the aunts is always just somewhere very specific. They know how to manage their lives, you know, and, and you better not like move things around or put things back in the wrong way or like, and I just remember like as a kid, you know, there were times that like you'd put the, be at grandma and grandpa's house, you know, you put the peanut butter back in the cupboard and you get corrected. It doesn't go there. It goes there. <laughs> and why in God's name? The two inches in the cupboard matter as though this was like some immutable law written in the heavens, you know, and it always went with that level of severity too, you know. It was like, move that please, you know. <laughs> and it takes you a little while, and it is true, like when you're a little kid, you know, you kind of think that there must be some perfectly rational explanation for why all these things go there, because I trust adults. And then at some point, you go through the deconstruction of your trust in the adults, and you realize <laughs> that they were just combining brute power with their own arbitrary wishes about things. And you know this because you're doing it, and you're an adult. And this is part of what it means to be an adult. But, and so <laughs> I do think this is, uh, a lot of us, the way that we think about God is kind of like that that God just kind of like brute power and then he's very arbitrary about stuff and God just doesn't like things being out of order. He's just, and so, uh, you know, please make sure you eat these foods and not those foods and please make sure you associate with these people and not those people and please make sure, you know, with your sexuality, you do this stuff and you don't do that stuff and all of it is really just kind of based in God's sort of preferences for what he happens to like and it doesn't really have anything to do with us and that's not actually the way that the scripture talks about what God's commandments and his laws and decrees actually are. And I think about here when Moses comes to the end of his time with the people of Israel, he's been journeying with them for 40 years and he's recapped now the commandments and he's given it back to them. And he says this in the book of Exodus or Deuteronomy chapter 32, the scripture says that when Moses finished reciting all these words to Israel, he said to them, take to heart all the words I have solemnly declared to you this day so that you may command your children to obey carefully all the words of this law. And then this in verse 47. These are not just idle words for you. They are what? They are your life. And by them you will live long in the land you are crossing the Jordan to possess. God is not just arbitrarily giving his people stuff to make sure that they don't happen to bug him, you know, in his little house but he's giving them things that will actually lead to their flourishing. Their life. These are not just idle words for you, he says. These are your life. And as you keep them, what you'll find is that you'll live long in the land that you're crossing the Jordan to possess. So one of the central ways that God expresses his fatherhood to us is by his ongoing instruction to us in the right way to live. God is interested in our flourishing. And I think about this uh, from the standpoint of a parent, I have four kids, Ethan, Gabe, Bella, and Liam. And I remember uh, when our, our oldest, Ethan, was just a little guy and he was starting to crawl around in our house. And uh, Ethan just insatiably curious, all getting into everything. 
And he had this thing like for anything that had anything to do with electricity. Like it was like, <laughs> and I, I just remember when he was little, like, and we did all the things that you're supposed to do. You know, we put those weird little caps on all the outlets, you know, so that was all over our house. And then we made sure our little entertainment center that we had, that the cords were tucked neatly back in there. And it just like, I just remember little Ethan like, crawling everywhere. And he was like, you know, he would crawl to try to like get behind to get to the wires back there. It would just be like, Ethan, what are you doing? Yeah, we have spent good money on toys. There's a toy bin right here. They're colorful, green and red and blue. And they're nice. And like this truck here, and it lights up and it makes sounds and all of that. It's, why, why won't you? And he just kept going for the, you know, the electrical outlets. And I, so I remember one day I was like, and you know, new parent and very idealistic. And so I remember trying to reason with him. He's like 11 months old. <laughs> now, Ethan, <laughs> see, I have said before you, life and death, blessing and cursing. <laughs> and that didn't work. So what do I do? I grab his hand, wow, right? And he, I'll never forget this. Like he looked at me like I had broken his universe in half. But that's what you, now why am I doing that with Ethan? Am I doing it because I just have a personal preference for people leaving the electricity alone? <laughs> or because I'm just an angry despot of a leader in my house, you know? That's not, I care about, I don't want him, I don't want him to die, that's really the thing. And they're not, Ethan, these are not just idle words for you, like these are your life, by them you will live long in the home that you have crossed the Jordan to possess. Or I remember a few years later after that, you know, I remember uh, now Ethan is about three years old and Gabe is about two years old at this point and we're living in Denver and uh, we called the boys up for dinner one night uh, Ethan, Gabe, uh, come on up for dinner. And then Mandy was like, hey, you need to tell them to clean up the basement. They had this basement area that was all theirs and all that. And they kept their toys down there. And so I was like, boys, you need to you know, head back downstairs and clean the basement. So they did. And like three minutes later, little Gabe, Gabe is two at this point. And Gabe comes back up the stairs and he just got, Gabe was like the cutest little kid of all time. And Gabe appears at the top of the stairs like, dad, here I am, you know. <laughs> And I remember getting down real low and I said, I called him Gaby at the time. I go, Gaby, did you clean up the basement? And he goes, yeah. <laughs> and all of a sudden, the moment he says, yeah, I hear big brother Ethan behind him. Ethan goes, no, he didn't. He's lying. <laughs> so I go, I go, Gabe, are you lying? And this is what he said, God is my witness, Mandy was there. Gabe goes, I like lying. <laughs> oh no! <laughs> how, how do I explain to the two-year-old that there must be some correspondence between your words and reality? or it will wreck everything that you love and hold dear in your life. But I did my level best. Okay, lying, it's the, kind of a bad thing. And, but what do I, why am I doing that? Am I doing that because I just take personal affront to a two-year-old not telling me the truth? No. I care about Gabe. 
I don't want his life to end in disaster. I want his life to lead to flourishing. That's the way the father is with us. And now my kids are, my kids are teenagers now, and they're not sticking their fingers in light sockets so much. <laughs> but do you know, and so the mode of parenting has changed and the issues have changed, but actually it's still the same stuff. And what we're doing in our parenting of our teenagers is we're trying to help them see the nuance and the beauty and the complexity of life. And we're laying out laws and decrees and regulations for them, not because we are oppressive, arbitrary, malevolent despots just trying to rule our house, but because we care about that. Guys, that's our father. When our father gives us the laws and the decrees and the commands, he's not trying to ruin our lives. He's trying to help us, or in the words of the great Saint Gandalf of Middle Earth, (laughs) I'm not trying to rob you, he says to Bilbo. Do you remember that? I'm trying to help you. I'm not taking stuff away from you. I'm trying to give you your life and your future back. That's what's at stake in the commands that the Lord gives us. Look at this from the Psalm, Psalm 19. Here's a little moment that gives you some insight into what's at stake in God's giving us of his laws and his decrees and his commands. Listen to this, Psalm 19. The psalmist says, the heavens declare the glory of God and the skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day, they pour forth speech. Night after night, they reveal knowledge. They have no speech, they use no words. No sound is heard from them. And yet their voice goes out into all the earth. Their words, the ends of the world. In the heavens, he's talking about creation here, right? In the heavens, God has pitched a tent for the sun. It's like a bridegroom coming out from his chamber, like a champion rejoicing to run his course. It rises at one into the heavens and makes its circuit to the other. Nothing is deprived of its warmth. It's beautiful homage to God's, like the beauty of God's created order. And then watch what all of a sudden happens here in verse seven. He goes from talking about the heavens and the earth and the beauty of creation, and all of a sudden there's this pivot. He says, now the law of the Lord is perfect, refreshing the soul. The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart. The commands of the Lord, they are radiant, giving light to the eyes. The fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. The decrees of the Lord are firm and all of them are righteous. They are more precious than gold, than much pure gold. They are sweeter than honey, than honey from the honeycomb. Abide them as your servant ward and keeping them there is great reward. Who can discern their errors? Forgive my hidden faults. Keep your servant also from willful sins. May they not rule over me. Then I will be blameless, innocent of great transgression. And may these words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. He starts by talking about the created order, and then he pivots to talking about the law of God. The law of the Lord is perfect, refreshing the soul. The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. The commands of the Lord are radiant, giving light to them. Why would he do that? Here's the answer. That in the Hebrew imagination, the Torah, God's instruction, his law, was not something other than life as they knew it. But God's Torah, his law, his instruction, was actually the key that unlocked the great mystery of life. It was a map that helped you understand reality. What's really going on in the heavens and the earth? How really have we been designed as human beings? What really leads to life and what really leads to death? And so he can pivot from talking about creation to talking about the law, and he's not actually talking about different things. 
he's talking about the law as the very secret of reality. One of the 13th century Jewish rabbis, a man by the name of Zohar, said that God gazed upon the Torah and then created the universe. (laughs) God gazed upon the Torah and created the universe. When God gives us his laws, when he gives us his commands, he's doing it because he's trying to help us live humanly. He's trying to help us live deeply in the world that he has made, a world that also happens to be good. So what he does is he gives us the secret that helps us take our lives and match them up with reality, creation, as he's made it to be. If submission to the Father's ways leads to life, I wanna say to you tonight, then the opposite is also true. A failure to submit to the ways of God leads to our death. As the great C.S. Lewis once said, to walk out of God's will is actually to walk into nowhere. There's just nowhere outside of the will of God other than the very deconstruction of our lives. And I think about, I've been a pastor for 15 years now, and I think about all the people that I have sat with over the years. I think about how many married couples I have sat with over the years that were in trouble, and they come, and they sit in my office and lay out all of their issues and their struggles and their challenges. And I'd look at them, and I'd listen to them, and what I know as a pastor is that in some part of their soul, like what they want is they want me to be able to like wave a magic wand over their marriage and over their issues and just make all of that go away. I'm gonna sprinkle magical pastoral dust upon them, right? And they're gonna get up out of my office and they're gonna march out different people. And I know that that's what they want and I also know that's, it just can't happen. The thing that has to take place is there has to be repentance. There has to be an adjustment of the whole way that they view reality and see each other if they're gonna experience God's life and his blessing and his goodness. There's no like, I can't, and even if, even if we had some moment in my office where I pray some amazing prayer and the Holy Spirit descends on us and power, we have this thing, and if they don't actually walk the road of repentance, none of that experience will actually mean anything. And I've been in the church my entire life, and I've seen this over and over and over again. It's one of the things that breaks my heart the most is I've seen people whose lives, like they have, they're just twisted up in these profound ways. There's a failure of discipleship in their lives. In some way, they're not submitting to the Father's will, not giving themselves over to what God has required. And then what they do, Sunday after Sunday after Sunday, Friday after Friday after Friday, Revival service after revival service after revival service is they get in here and they got all of their issues and things that they're struggling with that hurt so bad and they offer it up to the Lord. Go, Lord, I need you. Oh, I need you. You know, spirit break out or whatever it is. (laughs) And they, thank you, I appreciate that. (laughs) And they feel something amazing. (laughs) Spirit comes upon them in power and they're, slain in the spirit and they're prophesying and speaking in tongues and laying on the floor and they're crying and all of that. And they don't change their life. And so then they go back out and they find that the same things that they were struggling with, they're still struggling with. And nothing has actually changed, but they keep coming back in here and what they want is they want a touch from the Lord. Oh, seeking a touch from the Lord. And they do need a touch from the Lord. They need the Lord to whack them upside the back of their head. 
I'm trying to communicate to you how life works. And all you want is just fuzzy feelings and gooey this and gooey that. And you're asking me to do all the work, but you gotta be invested in this. And I, I, I'm saying this from a place of great tenderness because I've also been following Jesus all of my life. And I've also been in that place where I've just thought that I just need the breakthrough. Something's gotta happen. And probably 15 or 20 years ago, I started discovering that biblical spirituality operates in a different register than just God, you have to do this for me. And I, I've made the Psalms a part of my spirituality now for 20 years. I read a Psalm, at least one Psalm every day, usually multiple, and I've just, they're working their way into my heart. And one of the things that I've come to realize about the Psalmist is that as often as the Psalmist cry out, Lord, save me, and they do cry out, Lord, save me, and we should pray, Lord, save me often. And I love those Psalms. Save me, O Lord, for the waters have come up to my neck. Now I sink in the miry depths where there is no foothold. I love that. I love Psalm 16, keep me safe, O God, for in you I take refuge. I love that. The psalmists are always crying out, save us, O God. In fact, Jesus, we call Jesus, when he came into Jerusalem and the triumphal entry, what did they cry out? Hosanna. Now that means, Lord, save us. We need you. There are some things that only God can do. But I also notice in the Psalms that as often as the psalmist will cry out, Lord, save. Do you know what they also cry out? Teach me your ways. And I cry out, Lord, save me plenty. But I pray, teach me your ways more often than that. Oh, God. Teach me your ways, show me your paths, guide me in your truth and lead me, for you are God my savior. Free me from the trap that is set for me, for you are my strength. Do you know that God wants to get us to that place? Where what we're crying out for is not just for deliverance, but we're crying out for, would you mold me, oh God? Would you help me understand how you've designed life to work and would you teach me your ways? That's the thing that Moses cries out to the Lord. Exodus chapter 33, the Lord says, I know you by name and you have found favor with me. And you know what Moses says to the Lord? He goes, if I've found favor with you, teach me your ways so that I might know you and continue to find favor with you. Like, let me into your mind, let me into your understanding and mold me so that I come to walk in the way that you required. Brothers and sisters, this is the arena of repentance this is the arena of sanctification. This is bigger than just, God, would you just fix my problems and make them go away? This is about us partnering with the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives so that salvation comes breaking into our lives. Are you with me tonight? I wanna just throw this out here for a moment to you and just ask you this question. How much of your current misery is a result of a refusal to submit to the Father's good design for your life. Now, I'm not talking about the misery that comes from people doing things to you, okay? Trauma, I'm not talking about that. And I'm not talking about the random stuff that just kind of happens in our lives, misfortune that falls upon us. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about areas where you have agency. I'm talking about places where you have responsibility. I'm talking about places and now I'm just, I'm gonna start poking you just a little bit. But I'm talking about the places 
where you're pointing the finger at other people. Well, you know, if my wife would just fill in the blank. Ah, there you are. That's it right there. That's the place where repentance needs to happen. Well, you know, if my kids would just straighten up and stop doing X, Y, Z, everything would be amazing right there. Well, you know, if my boss would just, you know, if my church would just, well, if my friends would just, well, if those people in my small group would just, well, if the Republicans would just, well, if the Democrats would just, well, if those white people would just, well, if those black people would just, and that displacing is an evidence that we've got stuff going on in our lives that needs to be dealt with, friends. How much of your current misery is a result of your failure to submit to the Father's good design on your life? Are you crying out, teach me your ways? Are you crying out, help me grow up into your salvation? Are you falling down at the feet of big brother Jesus? I love that Brett said that earlier in the service. That Jesus is not just king, but in the biblical imagination, he's our big brother. He's our forerunner. He's a picture of what it looks like to live meaningfully in the Father's house. Are you falling down at the feet of big brother Jesus and going, would you show me what it looks like to please the Father? Would you show me what it looks like to be a human being? Friends, how much of your current misery is a result of a refusal to submit to the Father's good design on your life? And all of us are carrying things right now in our lives where we have been in denial about the responsibility that we need to take in it or the part that we play in that mess, tonight's a night to come back to Jesus and to fall down at the Father's feet and to ask for transformation and for change. And with this, we're gonna start making our way to communion because I wanna just say something tonight. What distinguishes what I'm saying tonight and what distinguishes the gospel of Jesus Christ from mere self-help is that what self-help is, is self-help is pulling yourself up by your bootstraps, right? Self-help is Tony Robbins for the soul, you know? That was a really dated cultural reference, but I'll do better next time. Fix that for Sunday at East. Self-help is seeing all the things that are broken in your life and hearing a motivational speech and then just leveraging your agency to try to make the thing better and make the thing different. And I think that what the scriptures teach us is that our situation is worse than that. That we can't just hear a word from God and go, well, I just need to make it go. Something is warped in us. Something is broken in us and it's that very thing that needs to be fixed. Funny story from the Yarn family. When I was about four or five years old, <laughs> I love this story. My mom, if she's listening, will love it too. When I was about four or five years old, my mom and I were at the grocery store together. And uh, my mom is, uh, she's like a missional shopper. So when she gets in the store, my mom, has she got her coupons all laid out and she knows exactly what she's gonna get. And she walks really fast. This is well, this is well known in the Arn family. I mean, she just make a beeline for things. And so I was on one of those trips with her where I'm kind of getting drug around, you know, by my mom. And that's, you know, a little boy, trips to the grocery store, terrible. Absolutely awful. It's like the seventh ring of hell, awful. And I remember just as a way to like try to make the situation better for me that day, I remember saying to my mom as we're going up in the, uh, down the aisles, I go, mom, can I have that thing? You know, I'm just like, I wanna have a part in this. You know, like you get to buy all this stuff. You get, are you gonna buy anything from me? And so I said, mom, can I have that thing? She goes, no. Again, the next aisle, I go, mom, can I have that thing? And she goes, no. Next aisle, mom, that, no. Mom, that, no. Mom, that, no. Finally, we get to the checkout 
aisle and there's one final thing, candy bar or something, and I go, and I like my spirit is nearly defeated <laughs> at this point. I go, Mom, can I have that? And she says, no. <laughs> and little Andrew at five years old goes in exasperation, everything I see I want. <laughs> it seems like I only want the things that I shouldn't want, I guess, right? Everything I see, I want. And we tell that story in the Arndt family because it's sort of a window into the human condition. That the problem with us is not just that we happen to miss it from time to time. The problem with us is that our love needs to be healed. Our wants need to be healed. Our desires need to be healed. And until our desires are healed so that they can come into alignment with the good desire of God for our lives, there is no healing in our lives. The Lord says to his people on the lips of the prophet Jeremiah, Jeremiah chapter 38, the Lord says, they will be my people and I will be their God. And I will give them singleness of heart and action so that they will always fear me. Who gives it? God gives it. I will give them singleness of heart and singleness of action. Where does it start? Here, it starts in the heart. Singleness of heart and action so that they will always fear me and that all will go well for them and their children after them. Verse 40, I will make an ever, oh, I love this. I will make an everlasting covenant with them. I will never stop doing good to them and I will inspire them to fear me so that they never turn away from me. Do you know how it is that we wake up to the Father's good design on our lives? There's a gracious invasion of the spirit of the living God into the innermost. And somehow what it does is it heals our wayward desires. It wakes us up to what's good and right and true and beautiful. And we find that we're made ready. We're made the people of God. One of the ancient images, and with this I'll have you stand as we prepare our hearts for communion. Stand up on your feet. One of the ancient images for transformation, an image that I love so much, is the image of wax by the fire. And what some of the great mystics and thinkers and saints down through the ages have said is that when we come into the presence of God, what we're like is we're like wax next to the fire. What happens when wax gets by the fire? It melts. And haven't you noticed that? That when you get into the presence of God, you come in and you've got something that you're angry about, something that you're frustrated with, some great desire that's raging on the inside of you. And there's just this way that the presence of God has of like melting us, making us moldable again. But this is how they conclude the image. They say, the melting is not the final state of the candle. You know what the final state of the candle is? It's that moment when the Lord takes the impress of the Lord Jesus and presses it upon us so that we look like Jesus. Guys, this is why we come into the presence of God. We come because we're not capable in ourselves of changing ourselves. We come because the only way that we can change is by the power of the Spirit that molds us and makes us look something like Jesus. So tonight, Lord Jesus, we're bringing ourselves to you. Here we are in your presence. And we say tonight with the psalmist, create in us a clean heart, oh God. 
and remove a steadfast spirit or put a steadfast spirit in us. Restore to us, we say, the joy of your salvation and grant us willing spirits to sustain us. We say, come Holy Spirit. Family, would you lift your hands tonight and just welcome the work of the Spirit and I don't know what the thing is that you're stuck on. I don't know what the thing is that you're struggling with. I don't know the place of repentance that you need, but right now, would you just welcome the Spirit there? And we're praying tonight, Lord Jesus, that wherever marriages are stuck because there's a lack of repentance, we're saying fall, Holy Spirit, come and fall. And over relationships between parents and their kids or between brothers and sisters that are fractured and fragmented, because there are things that are unrepented, we are saying, come Holy Spirit, would you fall upon those relationships? And I'm praying over financial situations here where there's just a lack of obedience to your will. We're praying for a softening of spirit. Lord, we're just praying for it. We're saying, come Holy Spirit. Spirit, break out in our midst. We're saying, come change us and mold us and help us and make us like the Lord Jesus Christ. We're repenting. And we wanna make this tonight our prayer of repentance words will be up on the screen as we prepare our hearts for communion. The scripture calls us to examine ourselves, test ourselves, to see whether we're in the faith. We're to come in a way that's humble and contrite and repentant. So let's make this our prayer together, family. We say, most merciful God, we confess that we have sinned against you in thought, in word, in deed, by what we have done and by what we have left undone. We have not loved you with our whole hearts, We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. We are truly sorry and we humbly repent. For the sake of your son, Jesus Christ, have mercy on us and forgive us that we may, here it is, delight in your will and walk in your ways to the glory of your name. Amen. And now on the night that he was betrayed, after he'd given thanks, the Lord Jesus, he took the bread and he broke it. Would you break it, family? And he said, take this all of you and eat. This is my body given for you. Do this whenever you take in remembrance of me. Brothers and sisters, this is not just a memorial. This is a means by which the presence of Jesus comes to us to make us more like him. Tonight, brothers and sisters, can we take the bread? The body of Christ broken for us. And in the same way, After the supper, he took the cup saying, drink from this, all of you. This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for many for the remission of sins. Do it whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. And so here it is, Lord Jesus, the cup of salvation. We're asking, we're asking that as we take the cup tonight, oh, precious is the flow that makes me white as snow. No other fount I know, nothing but the blood of Jesus. We pray that your blood would cleanse us to the innermost and make us again the beloved sons and daughters of the living God who do the will of God from the heart. Grant it, we pray. Brothers and sisters, can we take the cup together? And would you lift your hands and just say, hallowed be thy name. (laughs) Hallowed be thy name. Hallowed be thy name. We praise and we exalt the name of the Lord Jesus, the one who snatched us from the depths, the one who put our feet on a firm foundation, the one who makes us as he is, beloved sons and daughters of God and thus son, Jesus Christ. And we welcome you and we receive you and we celebrate you and we bless you tonight, Lord Jesus. Amen.
testimony and I'm gonna tell it. I'm not ashamed of all I've come. There is power in the gospel and I felt it from the moment that I heard that good news. Oh, it was good news. I was...
time oh precious and oh precious that makes me that makes me white as snow clean because you made me Ooh. and oh the fountain oh it's nothing but the blood on. Church, would you give God praise tonight? Hallelujah. Glory be to God. And now lift your hands like this. Receive this benediction as you go. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May he cause his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. My brothers and sisters, may the Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, grace, mercy, and peace be with you. Well, thank you. I appreciate it. Hey, we got to do one more thing tonight before we go. Tomorrow, Brett Allen Davis turns 38 years old. I just, I just feel like we have to sing to Brett. Can we sing to Brett? Happy. I'd like that. Let's do that. Okay. To you. And Chantel tonight, that's right. It's birthdays everywhere. To all y'all, okay. Good to be with you, good to see you. Have a great weekend. We'll see you next week.